So good. Last week, we began a, a new series here at Walk Church that we titled Identity Theft. Identity Theft, Lessons on Identity from the Life of David. And David was a man in the Bible specifically found in the Old Testament, primarily on the left side of your Bible. And David had a a journey and a half. This brother went through a lot of stuff uh, in his lifetime. and And I really feel like he wrestled with some identity issues and finding out who he was and who he is, and who God created him to be, and and how we can find and secure and lock in on our identity in Christ. And before we get to David, we see that Saul came before him as the king of Israel. Israel had an identity crisis themselves. Israel was tired of being known as God's people and God being their king. They wanted a human, an earthly, a physical king, so they could be like other nations. How many of you guys know that comparison is the thief of joy? right? When we compare ourselves to other people, it robs us of our true identity in the Lord. It ultimately robs us of our joy in the Lord. Israel had that going on. They said, you know, we want to be, we like, like how they're doing. They got a, they got an earthly king leading them, even though they were always failing. And so the people of Israel approached the prophet of that time. His name was Samuel. And they said, Samuel, we want to be like them. We want to have an earthly king. So Samuel brought that before the Lord in brokenness, and God said, you sure? He said, this is what the people want. And God said, all right, well, anoint for me a king in this man named Saul. And we were introduced to Saul last week. And in 1 Samuel 15, God gave Saul a very specific, very powerful commandment. And that was to go take care of business with the Amalekites. Saul, fearing the people that he went with, did not obey God, and for the fear of the people he was with, disobeyed the voice of the Lord, ultimately leading up to God taking away his anointing as king, and that's where we pick it up today. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, one, you could raise your hand and we'll bring you one down. Um, We do have one right here in the middle, and we can bring you a Bible down just here in a moment. Um, but two, we have the, the scripture for you here on the screen. All right, so 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. We're going we're gonna to read a whole lot. We love the Bible here at Walk Church. Just in case, you know, this is your first time, you're wondering if we, if we read from God's word. We totally do. 13 whole verses. If you're ready, say ready. If you're hungry, say let's eat. All right, now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. Take a heifer with you. The Lord replied and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. Verse 4. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Verse 5. Yes, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, 
Surely this is the Lord's anointed. Verse seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, and listen up here, church. The Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for the Lord has rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, say it with me, looks at the heart. Verse eight, then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Can anybody say awkward, right? Like, okay. Uh, well, next son, <laughs> next Jesse summoned Shimea. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. Verse 10, in the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Verse 11, then Samuel asked, are these all your sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied. But he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. When you're hungry, you do anything, all right? We're not going to eat till we get the youngest. Go, go grab him. Hurry up, too. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, how about another awkward moment, right? Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Father God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that you're teaching us this morning. God, if it was just, the, just for this time of reading your word alone, it would be enough. God, the truth is we don't need to hear a message from a man this morning. We need to hear a word from God this morning. And so God, we wanna hear from you today. God, we need to hear from you today. Thank you that we get to hear from you today as we unpack your word now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want to talk about the second identity theft that we see here in Samuel. Last thing that we talked about was the fear of man. Saul was going forward, charging, being obedient to what God had called him to do as the king of Israel. And while he was on this journey, it said that he began to fear man's opinion. He began to fear what man said about him. He began to fear what man was going to do. And so it caused him to be disobedient. Fear can steal our identity in the Lord. And so the opposite of the fear of man is the fear of God and the fear of God leads to life. We talked about that. Today I want to talk about the second identity thief, the appearance of man. That means we could, be, we could get so consumed by what people think about us on the outward that it can become our identity. Our identity can become less about what God thinks about us and more about what the person next to me thinks about us. For example, if you're here this morning and everything in you wants to lift your hands in worship, but you're thinking, what would they think next to me if I do that? That's an identity thief, right? Or if, you, if, you, if you're trying to figure out what people are thinking about you or saying about you or, or, or I need to impress this amount of people or how many people like my photos or how many, how many retweets am I getting? Be careful that, that those things don't become 
your identity. Because God has called us to an identity in him that's so much better. And I want us to look at that here today. A couple things I want to identify as we just go ahead and walk through these 13 verses. We'll just go ahead and eat from it one chunk at a time. 1 Samuel 16. Uh, Let's look at verse 1 through 3 to kick it off. He says it like this in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Uh, As I was, you guys know, as a preacher of God's word, it's hard for me to preach on 13 verses in one weekend. That's not my style. 13 verses could take us 13 weeks here at Walk Church, but we're going to do our best today, amen? Uh, So it's hard for me to get past verse 1. I I spent a lot of time on verse 1 just because I was like, there's a whole lot of goodness and challenging stuff in this first verse that I want to identify. The first thing that I want to identify in verse 1, and this is a word for somebody here in the room, all right? And this this, this might be challenging for somebody, but this is a word for somebody in the room. I believe it. The Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough. And maybe there's somebody here today that has walked through a a death in the family. Or maybe somebody here today has has walked through a, a difficult season that may have resulted maybe even in a divorce or in a a broken relationship, and you have went through a season of mourning. You have went through a season of grief. You have went through a season where you just are, are fighting that battle, and that is a real battle to fight. And we don't take that lightly, and if that's you in the house today, we want to say, hey, we're, we're for you, we're with you, we want to walk that out with you. And the truth is, however long that takes you, walk that out with the Lord. But God put this very specific on my heart that somebody may need to hear this right here. You've mourned long enough. That God is saying, hey, I want to bring you into a new season. I have so much more still for you. And if you still stay in this cell of mourning, you'll never be able to go to the destination that God has for you next. It doesn't mean that you forget what happened. It means that you even take it sometimes. You, you learn from it. You, you go better into this next season. The ESV translation of verse 1 actually is a question. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve? Let's keep reading. I've rejected him from being king of Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. Look, God said, hey, you can stay, Samuel, here in this, this, this kind of moment of grieving. Or you can go to the next season that I have for you. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. God is doing things, church. And I just wanted to take a moment to say, hey, maybe you're in this phase and you're just working through some serious stuff in your heart. I just want to encourage you this morning, go ahead and work through it and allow people to come alongside you and work through it. But, but maybe God would say to you today, I've heard your cry. I've heard your prayer. Now let me take you into this next phase and season of life. If you got all that, say amen. 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 And I do sympathize with you, and our church does as well, and we don't want to rush you, but I felt impressed that this might be a word from the Lord for somebody here today. Let's go ahead and look at this next uh, highlight moment in verse 2. It says, you have mourned long enough for Saul. The second thing he says is, I have rejected him as king of Israel. 
I didn't want to rush past that because when I read that verse right there, it really challenged me. To be honest, in a way, it, it, it kind of scared me. Like God could choose somebody to do a mighty deed, to do a mighty act. And in this context, he then rejects him for his disobedience, for his lack of faith, his lack of trust. I was at a pastor's retreat this past week and uh, a legend in the faith is a, is a guy by the name of O.S. Hawkins. He's written several books. Um, he's one of the presidents uh, in our Southern Baptist Convention. And he was just sharing with 12 pastors in the room. I was grateful to be a part of that time, just soaking it up. And he said, brothers, I want you to listen in here. And when he says that, we really listened in, all right? And he said, let me tell you guys what the fear of God is. The fear of God is not fearing God put his hand on you. The fear of God should be God taking his hand off you. That struck me right there. The fear of God should be less, but God, he's got his hand on me, and I just, I'm struggling with that. And it should be more of, Lord, keep it on me. Just don't, don't. remember David's prayer in Psalm 51. Lord, take my house, take my car, take my chariot, take my gold, take my crown. Just don't take your spirit from me. Just don't take you from me. Don't take your hand off me. I see right here in, in Saul's life, Samuel says, enough mourning for Saul. He chose the fear of man over the fear of God and that was his choice. So fill your flask with oil and go to Bethlehem, which is ultimately a Christocentric prophecy, right? That, that Jesus would one day come to Bethlehem. And this is a beginning of a miraculous prophetic word here. But, but he says, find a man named Jesse who lives there for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. I wanna go ahead and highlight that last part. Find a man named Jesse who lives there for I've selected one of his sons to be my king. See, I've always been familiar with Jesse, but I've never spent much time learning about who Jesse is. And this is a word for somebody specific here in the room again today that I just wanna highlight. Think about this for a second. I asked this question to the Bible. I said, God, what makes Jesse great? Why would you choose Jesse in this case? And you know what God spoke to me? Jesse's not the one that's great. I'm choosing his son. And, and here's what I want to encourage parents in the room today. That maybe you've blown it. Maybe, maybe your years have gone and your legacy is past. You could raise up a child that God would choose to anoint and use to do greater things than even you could have done. Is that good news this morning? I, I pray those prayers over my son, Epaph, who's in the 412 right across. I said, God, I pray that he would be a better leader than I ever was. I pray he'd be a better basketball player than I ever was. I'm gonna help him do that, amen? I pray, you know, God, anoint him as king. Check, listen to this. I did a search on Jesse. This is the first time we're introduced to Jesse. He's a regular dude. He's in 1 Samuel, living his life, raising up his eight sons. It's a lot of, a lot of boys to have. That was his job. Like he's, he, we don't, we're not introduced to anything about Jesse up to this point. And then one day God says, I'm gonna choose a king. And Samuel, the prophet's like, wow, who are you gonna choose, God? And he says, find Jesse. Well, why Jesse? Don't worry about Jesse. I've selected one of his sons to be my king. So I wanna encourage you today 
that the legacy left might be for your children. And you might have to do the job of preparing and raising. And praise God that the Lord is, he, he, he not only sees your life, he sees your kids' lives. He sees their, their kids' life. I love what Proverbs says. It says, the blessed man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Come on. Challenging words that I just was stuck on in 1 Samuel 16. God was speaking to me in these verses. He was saying, hey, Hyde, maybe there's some things you need to let go of. You, you've mourned long enough. And, and don't worry about the Lord's hand being on you. Worry about his hand coming off you. And lead well in the home. Lead well in your children's lives. And God will do something amazing through them. Let's go ahead and continue reading in verse three through seven and we'll see what happens next. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. Verse four, so Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? At this point, the reason why they asked that was because Samuel was frustrated. Samuel was upset. Samuel chose Saul to be king under the leadership of God. They did this whole big old ceremony. Thousands of people showed up. Saul's gonna be king. Saul's gonna lead us. Samuel's leading the way. Samuel's pouring the oil on his head. Samuel's praying a prayer over him. Let's go, Saul, let's do it. The first battle Saul goes into, he blows it, ruins it. So now Saul has to rebuke Samuel. Saul, or Samuel has to rebuke Saul. Samuel is trying to figure out all that's going on. He's frustrated. And so the people of the town are like, Samuel, you okay? You ready to come into the town and just bring peace? Like, we don't want any trouble here, right? And what he says is great. He says, yes, Samuel replied. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves. Some of your translations might say consecrate. It's the same word as purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. Verse six, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, Right? I want to focus in on verse six for a moment. Verse six, I, I think that there's something neat that we can identify here briefly. Verse six says, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab or Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's. I love the exclamation point too, right? One look. And he says, this right here is God's man for the job. Just imagine this really quick, right? The news broke out that Saul was gonna be rejected by the Lord as king and that God has chosen Jesse and one of his sons to be the next king. I'm sure Jesse's super excited, right? Jesse's rounding up his sons. He's saying, all right, you come on, you come on with me. All seven of you guys, come on with me. And he lays them all out, right? And I'm sure he puts the biggest, baddest, toughest son right in the front. Eliab, and here he is, and he, he steps up, and he's just like, he's a tall brother, he's, he's strong, he's courageous, he's the one chosen, right? And even Samuel steps up. Samuel takes one look at him. All it took was one look. 
And he says, surely, Prophet Samuel, right, was confident. This man of God says, surely, this is the Lord's anointed. I'll tell you what, I have an imaginary mind sometimes when I'm preparing my sermons. When I read this, I thought of one person. You guys want to know who I thought of? Let me show you. Maybe you guys know who this guy is. Um, This guy right here. (laughs) Who's that? Anybody know who that is? Gaston. Does anybody want to sing his song? Come on, somebody. Gaston. No, I'm not going to do it. Gaston, right? I, 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 I was like, surely they brought Gaston first as Eliab, right? Like, yo, that's him. He's the one. And, and, and Gaston thought he was the one. If you haven't seen Beauty and the Beast yet, come on. Like, spoiler alert. Like, go see the movie. It'll be all right. And, and, and get some Bible sermon illustrations from it, all right? Redeem it. But I love how Gaston, he shows up in the movie and you know, no one bites like Gaston. No one sings like Gaston. All right, I'm not going to do it, okay? No one's muscles pop out of the shirt like Gaston. And he's just feeling himself. And, and Belle shows up and he goes, that's going to be my wife. And he chases her down and she slams the door in his face. And they have this whole get a, get a roll. You know, it's just it's this crazy scene. And he goes back and he's telling all his buds. He's like, man, surely she would choose me. What's the problem here? I think if we can, we can gain something from this is that if you judge from the outward appearance, maybe you would choose Gaston. But even, even young Bell said, I'm not looking for that. I'm looking at the heart. I'd rather choose a beast with the right heart than somebody who has all the strength and looks and fill in the blank in the world but doesn't have the right heart. And God looks at Eliab right here and he says, Verse seven, let's look at verse seven really quick. He says, he says, Samuel, I'm gonna teach you a lesson right now. Don't judge by his appearance or height. I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. Can we get an amen for that right there? Amen. Praise God that the Lord doesn't see things the way we see them. We got one clapper. I'm gonna clap with you, Miss Rose. I got you. He doesn't. People judge by outward appearance. That's the identity thief. People judge by outward appearance and it creates identity thieves in our culture. But the Lord looks at the heart. The heart is a big deal. The heart's a big deal. God, God focuses in here. He looks at Eliab. Eliab, he could have he been a man of God. He could have not been. He could have just been doing his own thing. Finally, he gets a shot to have his moment of fame. And, and Jesse even is like, come on, man, we're going to put you first. You got this. And Samuel says, nope, that's not the one. I'm not, I'm not going to pick him. I, I'm reminded even in my own journey as, a, as an athlete, as a, as a basketball player growing up, you guys can see me. I'm not the tallest. I'm not the fastest. I'm not the strongest. Um, I wouldn't always get picked first in the pickup games, uh, but I, I, I began to build a reputation, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here. I'm just trying to give you guys an illustration here, where at one point, I remember I went into the game when I was playing at James Madison University. We were playing, a, it was a big game right before Christmas, and I remember I hadn't got much playing time that night. I remember I, the coach put me in the game in the second half, and it was an intense moment in the game, tied up. I was surprised he even chose me to go in. He put me in the game, and I remember one of our best players came up, and he said, yeah, now we're really about to turn it up because he's got heart. He's got heart. And, and God is saying, hey, I'm looking. I'm looking in the, in, in the audience. 
I'm not looking who has the best Bible. I'm not looking who, you know, fill in the blank. I'm looking who has the heart for him. Right? God is looking at not just the public square, but the private square. Who has a heart for me when nobody's watching? Who has a heart for me not just on the great days, but on the days when it's raining? Not just on the days where the sun's out and the birds are chirping. I'm about to, I'm about to walk it out today. I'm about to read my Bible. God has been good to me. But on the worst days, you can say, it is well with my soul. I trust him. He's the king of my heart. He's going to be the king all my days, even on the good and the bad days. That's the heart that God is looking for. I believe this can even make its way into dating. I want to give you a word today to to, to singles in the house. Maybe if you're looking for somebody. I love this verse in Proverbs 31, verse 30. This is for the ladies in the room and the guys too, just so you know. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is in vain. The word in vain means it won't last. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Amen. Go find that lady. Go find that lady. Right? Charm, charm is an identity theft. Right? Charm is deceitful is the word it uses. You know what deceitful means? It means it'll deceive you. You'll be deceived by the charm. We see that in the scriptures as well. Beauty, it won't last. It's just not going to last. Our bodies, as, as, as Paul puts it, are decaying. Day after day. But the woman who fears the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that's a heart issue. She's to be praised. Go find her. She's, she, you got to have to dig for her. But she's around. We got some of those in, in, in the house today, all right? So um, the same should be chosen for, for men. Um, men, charm is deceitful. Beauty is in vain. Muscles, Gaston, muscles are in vain. They won't last. But a man who fears the Lord, that's a man that's wise. That's a man who knows what he's doing. That's a man who knows his God. That's a leader. You want to find that person. God looks at the heart. Let's go ahead and uh, look at 1 Peter 5, 5. I want to give you guys one more verse of scripture before I move past this next verse. And we'll get ready to close here in this next segment. I'm challenged by this right here. That God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I once did a study on this word, oppose. It's a picture word. You know what the picture is? Has anybody ever seen the Heisman Trophy Award? How's that right? Uh, I can't really do it too good. I'm a hooper. All right, but, but, but it's this get off me, a stiff arm, if you would. God opposes the proud. That's the picture. It's a heart issue, but he gives grace, abundant grace. Grace from God comes to those who are, say that word, humble. Pridefulness and and, and humility, you know where those begin? In the heart. It says that pride goes before destruction. So whenever a destructive moment happens, just unlayer that back one moment and you'll find a prideful heart. Another verse in Proverbs says humility comes before Honor, when an honorable moment happens, go ahead and lay that back once and you'll find a spirit of humility. And I believe that as Samuel was looking for the next king, God's saying, I'm looking for a humble heart. I can't have a prideful heart. I can't have a a heart that's focused on charm. That's deceiving. I want a heart that's focused on me.
Let's go ahead and keep reading. 1 Samuel 16, verse 8, all the way through 13. If you're still with me, say I'm here. All right, here we go. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and to walk in front of Samuel. I love that right there, right? I, when, I, when, I, when I pictured uh, Eliab, I, I, I pictured Gaston. When I picture Abinadab, I see him go like this. My name's Abinadab. Come on, no one laughed at that? That was, that was weak. That was just for me. Someone got me. Deck, you got me. Online, they're going to love it, all right? Abinadab. <laughs> we got to have fun here at church. Abinadab walked up, and Samuel was like, you, definitely not you, <laughs> right? Like, we're not going to have a dabbing king. Abinadab, you're not the one. I'm sorry. Not today. This is not the one of the Lord has chosen. No, keep going. Jesse summoned Shimea. I don't got anything for him. He just, he just didn't get chosen either. Neither is this the one that the Lord has chosen. It's not him. In the same way, all right, next son, it might be, it's your chance. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. How about that? But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Wow. God's not going to compromise. God's not going to settle. God's not going to settle for, for what we bring. If we bring something that he's not looking for, he's not going to compromise. Look at the person next to you and say, no compromise. No compromise. Verse 11, then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse replied. How about that? He didn't even get invited. <laughs> like, go round up all your sons, Jesse. And Jesse doesn't even think to even invite young David. Like, I wonder if David had that moment where he's like, good night, I didn't even get invited. Like, I'm a son too. Like, I might be the youngest, but can I just at least be there? Like, can I just be in the background just in case? I just want to see my older brother get anointed as king. Like, he doesn't even just go watch over the sheep and the goats. All right. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse says, go get David. Somebody go get David. The title of my message today, Go Get David. I like that. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. Wow. What a moment that was. Talk about an underdog story. Talk about the identity thief. The dad learned this sermon that day. The one I'm looking for is not here. The one I'm looking for is faithful. The one I'm looking for, even though he didn't get invited to the party, was still faithful to do his job. The one I'm looking for, even though he didn't get chosen to be here today, is still being faithful in what God called him to do. The one I'm looking for is being faithful and no one's watching. The one I'm looking for is watching the sheep and goats because that's what God's called him to do. And I'm gonna present him and appoint him and take him to the next level when I'm ready because he's a man after my own heart. That's the person I'm looking for. Go get David. So as David stood there among his brothers, wow, Samuel took the flask of olive oil, which was a major symbol of anointing. And he brought 
and anointed David with the oil. In the capital S spirit, this is not a lowercase s spirit. This is not a um, spirit from man. This is not a feel good spirit when your favorite song comes on. This isn't a goosebump tingling spirit. This is the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah because he did his job. I want to focus on this for the last few minutes here. That, that Samuel heard from the Lord this message. God doesn't see how man sees. God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. So here's what I, here's what I want to um, submit to you today, Walk Church. That if you need to do some heart surgery this morning, that I want to give you three different tools to use so that you can do some surgery on your heart in a company with the Holy Spirit and the Lord. The first thing that I want you to focus in on is to watch your heart. Watch your heart. There is a way for us to watch our heart. Matthew Henry in his awesome commentary on the Bible says it like this. He says, one corrupt heart is like another. So are sanctified hearts. The former bear the same image of the earthly. The latter, the same image of the heavenly. Let us carefully watch our own hearts, comparing them with the word of God. Take God's word and lay it down as a grid over your heart and see what areas are popping out. I was at the airport this past week. And how many of you guys know when you go through the security checkpoint, you got to go through the whole deal? And then you walk through and then you got to get a pat down because you forgot to take your watch off and you're like, come on, right? But, but what I want you to do is I want you to walk through that security checkpoint with the Lord and let him wave his word upon you and see what's alerting, what's, 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 what's bleeding out, what, what do we need to pat down? So that God can say, hey, let me tell you something. What that is, that's going to that's gonna endanger you. That's going to hinder you. That's going to hinder somebody else around you. That's going to cause some type of disturbance in my plan for your life, which is good. And I just want to address that thing. And then let God take that out of your heart. And you gotta, in order to do that, you've got to really watch your heart. You've got to say, all right, heart, let me watch you for a second. Where are you going? Where are you shifting to? The heart is sick. Prophet Jeremiah says it. Let me give you Luke 6, 45. This is another way to watch your heart. A good man brings good things out of the good treasure of his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil treasure of his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Here's one way you can watch your heart. Watch your words. What you talk about, what you praise, what you, what you, what you glorify. All those things are the overflow of what's in your heart. If you're always talking about the Lord, that's overflowing. If you're always angry and mad in, in your words, that's overflow. If you're always sad, that's overflow. If you're always talking about somebody else, it's always his fault. It's always her fault. That's out of the overflow of your heart. You got to watch your heart. In the words that flow from it. I, I believe a 2017 translation of Luke 6, verse 45 would say, out of the overflow of the heart, the hand tweets. <laughs> right? Not just the mouth speaks, but out of the overflow of the heart, we take it straight to the post. Getting a whole lot of trouble for that. Watch your posts. Reflects your heart. 
Proverbs 27, verse 19. Let me give you guys one more picture. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. As you, as you walk across a, across a little stream or a river, we don't got a ton here in Las Vegas, but that one time of the year where you went to Lake Mead and you were just like, I kind of can see my reflection in, in the water. People watch your life and that is a reflection of your heart. So watch your life. Watch your words. Watch your heart. And if there's some areas that need some tweaking, come before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord, make me into your image. Lord, create in me a pure heart. Lord, create in me a clean heart. David prayed those prayers. David, the the one that was a man after God's own heart. Here's why. Because he would constantly come before God and say, Lord, change my heart. I need a heart change. And Jesus will do it. Let me give you the second way to, to do some heart surgery this week. Watch your heart. You can guard your heart. Guard your heart. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, above all else. Say that with me. Say, above all else. What does that mean? That means above everything. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Guard it. Guard it. Think of the best defensive athlete that you can. He's defending. He's not letting that person touch the ball. Like I see some of our UNLV football players in the house. They were balling last night. Man, praise God. Someone gave me a praise God. Amen. Right? And they were guarding that ball. That's what God's called us to do with our heart. Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Everything you do. Everything you say, everything you think, it starts in the heart. I remember one day when I found out that the heart contains two million brain cells in it. The heart and the mind are connected. We've got to guard our heart. Let me give you the last one. Pray for your heart. Pray over your heart. Pray for it nonstop every day. Every day you wake up, get down on your knees and just say, Lord, guard my heart. Watch my heart. God, let me focus my heart. John Calvin once said that the heart is an idol factory. The heart continues to just crank out and create new idols to distract us from our true king, God himself. Remove those idols. Smash those idols. And put Jesus in the rightful place as the Lord and king of your heart. That's what he calls of us to pray for your heart. Let me give you the verse and then we'll close with this. David says, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit within me. I pray this prayer all the time, church. I just come before God and God, create in me a clean heart. Jesus, I just want a clean heart. Have you ever just felt like your heart was dirty? I felt that way. I praise God that Jesus says, just come to me. I'll give you a clean heart. We can do that. We have a God who died on the cross for all of our dirty heart sins. And not only that, he he rose from the grave. He left it all in the grave. And he made a way for us to approach him now and just say, Father, in the name of Jesus, give me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. He'll do it. He'll do it. He'll do it.